They put a little filter on there, made you look a little thinner and a little tan or whatever, you know. So praise God, our tech people are awesome. <laughs> oh, praise God. Are you glad and excited about this new series? Oh, man, I'm telling you what, I have been chomping at the bit waiting for this to come up because I know that it is going to be life-changing. Now, the thing about... The summer, obviously you just heard summer is winding up, it's coming to an end. And one of the things that I find really uh, refreshing is that during the summer, we can talk a little more deep. We can talk about some more in-depth things because the people that are really hungry come to church during the summer. That was a good place to say amen. <laughs> now, what I mean by that, now obviously, when I, when I say because you realize summer, you can spend all summer long on the lake, Right? Now, there's nothing wrong with being on the lake, going fishing, enjoying yourself, taking vacation. We want you to do that. You need times of, of refreshing and downtime. But again, we also find that it's, it's real easy to find uh, ourselves excusing the behavior of just taking a, a, a time out for God, right? How many of you know you don't take a time out with God? And so, like I said, you see in the summer months, those that are hungry really show up when they could be out sunning by the pool on Sunday morning, right? Now, again, I've got a pool, and I enjoy swimming and there's sometimes sunday morning rolls around i'm like i'd rather be swimming right but i look forward to coming and hanging out with you and sometimes you just purpose to make the sacrifice to come and god blesses you when he does right yeah. amen you know last week my wife she uh, ministered she she was uh, ministering while i was out of town did a phenomenal job didn't she Oh, my goodness, she just did so good. It made me proud just to see her uh, ministering. I got to watch her online, and I thought, man, I've got to up my game because she's, she's really good, man. I've got to up my standards, you know. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that I noticed that she said, if you caught this, she said, you know, pastor's been ministering on intervention for the last several weeks, and so, therefore, I'm just going to wrap things up in a nice little tidy shell. And, and, and what it, I heard was like, let me... Uh, put all the confusion together and make it simple for you. And I don't know if that was what she meant, but, you know, that's kind of what I heard. So, anyways, she, she did a great job. And here's the other thing. Um, she's always getting on me about just, you know, razzing people and being sarcastic. And I don't know if you caught this, but she talked about our pregnant girl. You know how pregnant women are sensitive about how they're looking? And she's, she talks about Jacqueline in front of everybody, puts it on the Internet for the world to see. You know, what's ever on the Internet never goes off. And she talks about her swollen feet and her puffed up face. She said she is looking huge. Right? No, no, did she? No, I don't know. She, no, she didn't say that. But I thought, dear God, she threw her under the bus. I wouldn't even do that, you know? So, praise the Lord. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, anyways, you know, she humbles me all the time, so I just thought I'd take the opportunity to humble my own. <laughs> Amen. So let's get right into this series this morning called Selfies. Now, once again, you might say, what is selfies? It's simply, uh, if you know what a selfie is, it's one of those things that you do when you take a picture of yourself. Have you uh, known anybody, maybe because of our society and the culture we live in, many of you are familiar with Facebook. Have you ever noticed anybody that is addicted to selfies? I mean, they are compulsive selfiers, whatever. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. There's one particular girl that I went to high school with, and it's like, dear God, you really love yourself because, I mean, she will put a series of selfies on there, and it's like, wow, we really don't need to see that much you. you know? 
But anyways, when you think about a selfie, what is a selfie? A selfie is a picture that you take of yourself that you want to show the world. And you do it in a way that makes you look good, right? Have you ever noticed people, when they take the selfie, they hold it up high and they've said, that's the technique to make you look thinner and make you look better, right? You take the picture up a little bit higher or maybe it angle a little bit you turn the toe point the toe and you know suck it in and you know suck in the cheeks or whatever it makes you look thinner it makes you look better and so when you think about it selfies are just simply pictures that we post of ourselves, which we think we look good in right and nobody ever really intentionally posts a bad selfie now we might look at it and think dear god why did you post that But themselves, nobody posts a bad selfie or they don't show themselves in the bad moments, do they? They always want to put the best foot forward. So in this series, what we are going to do and what we're going to dive into is to find out the real you, the real selfie, what we really look like on the inside. And therefore, if we know what we look like on the inside, it's going to change how we look on the outside. And really what we're going to uh, discover is to see ourselves or the selfie of ourselves as how God sees us. And if you see yourself the way God sees you, you will never live life the same again. You'll never have another down day. You'll never have a, have a poor me sad day. Amen? Anybody ever gone through that before? Hmm? Uh, anybody ever, you know, just take a day to feel sorry for themselves? Like, this is going to be a day. I'm just going to watch soap operas and I'm going to eat ice cream out of the carton and I'm just going to feel sorry for myself. <laughs> never, yeah, we never do. I think we've all been in that way. But maybe you're here this morning and you've struggled with self-confidence. Maybe you've struggled with with just uh, uh, insecurity. Maybe you've struggled with the past and your past has haunted you. And because of what has happened in the past, you have not ever been able to get over the hurdle to live life to the fullest that God desires for you to live. Maybe you've been frustrated with yourself. Anybody ever been frustrated with yourself? Probably many of us, maybe at different times in our life. I'm going to tell you what, this subject matter put me over in life and changed my attitude. In fact, it wasn't too long ago. I was asking the Lord some things, and and these are things that I know. But do you realize, like, head knowledge doesn't mean the same as revelation knowledge? Because you can have head knowledge of what God says in His Word, but it never registers in your heart, and so therefore you never live out the reality of what God really desires for us. And so I had a lot of head knowledge about this and had some revelation knowledge, but man, God just really jerked the slack out of my chain because I was asking the Lord, I said, God, why am I so frustrated with myself? And once again, I'm just being transparent. I said, God, I am frustrated with me. I look at the mirror and rather get, than giving myself a pep talk, I tear myself down. Come on, anybody relate to that? It got to the point where I thought, you know what, I'm going to go talk to my mommy and daddy because it's like, what happened to you? Because whatever happened to you is causing me to feel the way that I'm feeling. You know what I'm talking about? 
Obviously, we're, we're products of the past. We're products of our environment that we grew up in. And I'm thinking, God, why am I feeling this way? And like I said, to even get questions answered, I said, I'm going to go talk to my mom and dad. What's going on in your life? What happened in your upbringing? Because why do I feel so frustrated in my life? And so for about two weeks, I was talking to the Lord. And I said, God, what's going on? I need some answers here. And finally, God began to speak to me. And when he spoke to me, it just erased all the frustration that I had. And so if you've struggled with frustration, if you've struggled with depression, if you've struggled with insecurity, if you beat yourself up, if you looked at your past and you said, I can't get over what happened to me, this is going to change your life. You're going to find out your true selfie and how God sees you and what God desires for you in your life. Amen? And so I hope that it's going to just radically change you. I hope it's going to change the countenance on your face. And I hope that it just changes the course of your life as a result of God's Word. In Romans chapter 1, I'm going to give you several scriptures throughout the course of, of this morning. And so you might just want to write them down. You realize writing down, taking notes is good for you to reference, right? You ever, you ever, uh, you ever went to school and never took notes? How well did you do on the test? <laughs> you did good? Well, there is going to be a test, all right? I'm going to... There's going to be a test. I'm not going to give it to you, but life will. And so, therefore, there's, there's an opportunity for you to come back and say, God, what does your word say? What was that about? Because I want to stir up my remembrance of it. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 15, it says, So as much as in, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you, uh, that are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now let's break that scripture down for just a moment. Now notice, first of all, he says this. He says, I am ready to preach the gospel. Now, I don't know if you're ever in the position where you're excited to get to church to hear the preaching of the gospel, but as a pastor, I can't wait to come to church to deliver the Word of God, to deliver the gospel. It stirs and it excites me to come to download God's heart to you. And the word gospel simply means this, glad tidings. So in other words, my heart is just bubbling over to get to church on Sunday morning to give you glad tidings that will help make you glad. If you've ever been to church and you walked out feeling sad, then you're in the wrong church. I said the gospel is glad tidings. And Paul said, I was ready to give you some good news that would help you become glad. And so again, just upon hearing this message of God's gospel, it says that you can get happy. Anybody used to being sad? How many of you ever went around just living life feeling grumpy and gloomy and depressed? Yeah, we've probably all been there. Maybe some of you are living it right now. But he says the gospel is good news and it will make you glad. Then it goes on to say this, Paul speaking, he said this. He said the gospel... This glad tidings is the power of God unto salvation. It says the gospel, the word of God, is the power of God unto salvation. Now, again, you've got to stick real close with me. Listen, listen fast because I'm going to talk fast, but there's a lot of important information that you're going to get this morning. The word salvation is not just eternal life, but it is deliverance. 
deliverance. How many of you know that the enemy wants to wrap you up in bondage and chains all your life to cause you to be just, just discouraged and defeated so you'll never be effective for the kingdom of God so that your children will never grow up to know who they are? He always wants you to live with bondage. But the Bible says that salvation, this good news, this glad tidings will help you be delivered from all the attacks of the enemy. Amen. Did you know that he hates your guts? Did you know that he hates your children? Did you know that the Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy? That's his job. But the Bible says that we have been delivered through salvation. And it says that the Word of God, the Gospel, is the power unto deliverance or freedom from the enemy. In that there's also healing. The Bible says that there's power of God, or the Word of God is the power of God, unto receiving the healing power of God working in your life. How many of you know that if you're sick and defeated and discouraged and hurting, that you can't be effective in ministry? You say, ministry? I'm not a minister. Oh, yeah, if you're a child of God, God's got a ministry for you. It may not be in the pulpit, but it might be at your workplace. Amen? You know, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine. He just got both of his knees replaced a few months ago. And he said... He says, I am so free from pain. He said, I am so free from pain in my knees. He says, I don't know why I didn't get this surgery years ago. He said, I had to apologize to my wife. He said, probably for the last 15 years, he said, I have probably been so unbearable to live with. Do you realize that pain will cause you to be grumpy? Just look straight ahead. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your wife. No, all right, I got you. It will. And he says there's the power of God unto healing and health in your body. Provision and prosperity. Protection and safety. The Word of God, the Gospel, the good news, glad tidings, is the power of God unto salvation. Now here's something that I want you to understand here. Do you realize that the Gospel is all about the death, the burial, and the resurrection? Right? That is the center of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And it's what Jesus did on the cross that has made us free. Right? It's what Jesus did. It's what He came to do to cause us to be free from sin without guilt or shame, to be able to come to God with all boldness and say, Dad, I just want to spend time with you. But notice the Bible says that the message of the gospel is the power unto. So let's now listen. The message of the gospel has the same power in it as the very act that Jesus did. Did you get that? Because we say, well, wouldn't it be great if we saw Jesus? If we were there, oh, we would be there to worship Him as He's hanging on the cross. Oh, and I wouldn't be as those that denied Him. We would believe that He was raised from the dead. He was coming back for us. We think, oh, that'd be great. But the Bible says that in the message of the good news, the glad tidings, the gospel has the same power as the very act of what Jesus came to do. So now, doesn't it make sense why the devil sits on your shoulder and says, you don't want to go to church today? Oh, you would rather do, do something else. Why? Because every time you come to church, you're going to hear the gospel. It's going to make you glad. It's going to set you free. It's going to help you. It's going to put you over. Because in the message of the gospel is the same power as what Jesus came to do. Are you getting this this morning? And so as a result, 
God is looking for us to be set free. And then it goes on to say this. For therein, therein what? Therein the gospel. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. What's the righteousness? Right standing. No guilt, no shame. It's done away with. And I don't know that I'm going to have time to get into all this today. I'm telling you what, if we begin to understand what Jesus came to do, what it means for you and me, we would never, ever have a down day again. You would never be depressed. You would never be sad. You would never feel sorry for yourself because you realize what the gospel did and what Jesus did in your life. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you know this very well, but it says this. It says, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice what it says here. It says, therefore, if anyone be in Christ. The center of the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But it's also been said this, that the, that the signature of the gospel is written in two words. In Him. In fact, Brother Hagen, one of my spiritual father's mentors in the faith, we call him Brother Hagen, again, depending on what your upbringing was, we used to call, you know, men brother and women sister. Hey, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Some of you may not even have ever been around that. But, so, therefore, when you say, or when you hear me say Brother Hagen, that's what I mean. So Brother Hagen, he, he had said this. He had said, uh, in fact, I forgot what I was going to tell you what Brother Hagen said. <laughs> Got telling you about the, <laughs> the other. What did Brother Hagen say? Help me remember that, Lord. He'll bring it back to my remembrance. That's what he said. He said this. He said, if your purpose to find out what the Scripture says if you'll go through the Scripture, through the New Testament, and every time you see in Him, in whom, or in Christ, and circle it and underline it, that defines what belongs to you or what you have and who you are in Christ. So once again, the gospel is the power of God unto, but there is the signature of the gospel, which is in Him. And it means or defines or it tells you who you are and what you have through what Jesus came to do. So the scripture that we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So that means if you had some old crotchety habits, if you were grumpy, if you were mean, the Bible says that was the old man before Christ. But in Christ, you've been made brand spanking new. Amen. Now, you have the opportunity to act like that old man, but the Bible says you are made brand new in Him. You have a new nature, a new personality. You have the opportunity to really become and act just like Jesus. And so as I said, the signature of the gospel is in these words, in Him. So in the New Testament alone, in Him, in Christ, and in whom are mentioned over 130 times. And therefore, it must be very significant as to what God's wanting us to see. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 it says, In whom, everybody say in whom. So therefore it says in whom, therefore we ought to pay attention. In whom 
we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Speaking of our relationship with the Father. See, there's one thing of having a relationship. There's a difference of having fellowship. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can have a relationship with my natural dad but never have fellowship. I can have a relationship with him in knowing that he's my father but never really know him beyond the, the opportunity of him being my dad because just of the relationship of mom and dad. You know what I mean? And so, therefore, there's fellowship that comes as a result of closeness. And the Bible says that in Him, I have access to the Father. And before the death, burial, and the resurrection, before the cross, before what Jesus came to do, we didn't have access to the Father. But the Bible says in Him, we have access. We have confidence. We have faith. Now, what does the enemy do? He'll come back and he'll say, Now, Jordan, you know what you acted like. You just treated your wife like, a, like just a creep. You were just, you, you know you shouldn't have done that. So now, the fact that you're trying to pray right now, you know God's not going to listen to you. You might as well just go out and watch TV. What does it do because you know how you acted? So what's the enemy doing? He's pointing the picture or painting a picture of the characteristic of the old nature of man, but the reality is is that's just the old residue of the old man that he's got to grow in, but the new man on the inside still is brand new and has every access and confidence in faith to come to the Father. Right? My natural dad. There are times that I messed up and blew it as a teenager. There's times that I've messed up as an adult. And there's times that you feel like, dear God, I don't want to have to do this because you feel like I should be beyond this. But then you go, Dad, I need help. Or Dad, I need some advice. Or Dad, sorry. Right? Even though that I messed up, I still have him have the relationship with him as the father. But because there's the fellowship, I know that I can still come to dad and dad's not going to say, well, I told you, three strikes, you're out. Right? Man, if that was the case, man, I'd, I'd have been kicked out of the house at three years old, man. I just, you know. <laughs> I was, yeah. Anyway, it's another story. <laughs> God's the same way. He says we have access through faith and assurance and confidence to come to Him. And, and we could say this as well. Concerning God, this is one of the things that, that, that the enemy tries to paint a, a picture of. And, and what Jesus came to do, God wasn't working on us on a continual basis. God wasn't trying to fix you or get you into a place where you could come into fellowship with God. The moment you received Christ into your life, you had instant fellowship. And the fact of the matter is, is that when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, the, 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 the separation from God's kids and Him was broken. Therefore, we have access to, to the Father because of what Jesus came to do. So it's not that God is trying to fix us or get you into a position to say, okay, you, you have... You've come to a place where you can come into my presence, you can be my child, you can have fellowship and communion with me. No, the moment we receive Christ, God says, come on, you're mine. And here's the thing. 
The moment that you receive Jesus into your heart, the moment that you confess Jesus as Lord, He begins to turn around and talk to you about who you are in Him. You know, we go to God and we say, God, forgive me of my sins. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, come into my heart. But the moment that we, be, we become born again doesn't mean that the old nature just naturally drops off. And so we go through life having this condemnation. Oh, God, I messed up again. Oh, God, I messed up again. And God says, listen, that's been forgiven. Now let me talk to you about you. And what's He talking to you about you about is who you are in Him. You are in Him. And therefore, you are the righteousness of God in Him. Not having guilt or shame. You can do all things in Him. Nothing is impossible in Him. Access to His fellowship is free in Him. You're more than a victor in Him. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? Because we walk around with this weight on our shoulders of guilt and condemnation that makes us feel like, God, you're disappointed with us. Do you realize God's not disappointed with you? Do you realize that nothing you've ever done surprised God? He never once turned to Jesus and said, Oh, dear God, did you see what Jacqueline did? I never would have guessed that from her. No. Anytime we miss it, He knew what we were going to do before we did it, and He already made a way of escape through Jesus on the cross. And He's like, Come on. Come on, don't let that, don't let that move you. Come on, I'm still here. I still see you the same way. I don't see you as a failure. I see you as a success. See, I'm talking about us seeing ourselves through Christ. Because we go around through life looking at ourselves, feeling like a failure. It was just a few years ago. I went on vacation with my wife and my kids. We went to a water park. And the kids are having fun. And I shut myself up in the bathroom and I'm looking at myself in the mirror. And I said, you're here with your family. You should be enjoying yourself. But as I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I'm like, God, I'm miserable. I'm not happy and I'm not having fun. What's up? And God said to me, he says, why are you looking at yourself through all the weight of the mess-ups, the failures, the what-ifs, should have been's, could have been's. Look at yourself the way I see you. Are you here this morning? Because God doesn't look at you the way you see you. God's wanting you to see you the way He sees you. Amen? In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says, Paul praying this, he says, I would pray that you would have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says, In whom... See those words? In whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. If you knew what Bill Gates knew, you would have what Bill Gates has. Well, what if we knew what God knows? You would have what God has. What if we knew what God knows about us? What if we saw ourselves the way God sees us? We would walk around with our shoulders back, feeling confident, feeling secure, in Him. And I'm in Him. Do you realize that if you find yourself knowing who you are in Christ, you will begin to walk around with such a confidence? 
You know, that's one thing about churches. You know, you'll find churches that are confident in who they are, pastors that are confident, people that are confident in who they are in Christ, and people will say, oh, they're awful cocky. They're awful arrogant. Who do they think they are? There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. And when you find yourself knowing who you are in Christ, you will begin to take on a whole new confidence. And people that don't know who they are in Christ, they will begin to look at you and say, oh, you're just so cocky. You're just so cocky. You walk around thinking you drive the best and got, look, yeah, you look at you. You show off. Right? Now, again, you can't let people affect you. But when you begin to find out who you are, it changes how you see yourself. There are people sitting here in this room right now that don't think they deserve good things. They don't think they deserve God's best. And as a result, it has hindered you from living life and just accepting and settling. Whether it's in a man or a woman, a job, whatever it might be, you've settled in life because you don't think you deserve it. If you didn't deserve it, God would not have given His very best. See yourself the way God sees you. Can you say amen? Amen. What is this knowledge? Paul once again says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. Notice what the Bible says. You were crucified with Christ. You keep looking at the old man, the old character, the old nature, but the Bible says that was crucified with Christ. Amen? We live life feeling sorry for ourselves, thinking I might as well just end it, I might as well just commit suicide. But if you commit suicide, there is no resurrection of yourself. But Jesus said you're crucified with Him, and in Him you were resurrected with Him in the newness of life, being just like Him. And therefore, you can expect God's best in your life. The Bible says that we're joint heirs. We're in perfect union with Christ. Amen. And the Bible also says this. The Amplified says it this way, that you've been engrafted into Him. Are you doing all right this morning? Give me a couple more minutes and we'll wind her up. Just enough to make you more glad. Is that all right? Amen. The Bible says that we've been engrafted into in to him. Do you remember Jesus said over in John chapter 15, I think it's verse 7, it says that I am the vine and you are the branches. We look at Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. But have you ever seen a tree that the fruit is bore on the vine itself? No. It's always on the branches, Right? never seen an apple tree right in the middle of the trunk. A nice little apple grows right there. No. It's on the limbs, right? And God, Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. So the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the fruit of God's love is going to be expressed through you and me because we're in union with Him. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God above and He's looking to bless His kids. Amen. Now, if you know anything about engrafting, uh, uh, when they graft uh, branches together, they cut off a limb and they engraft another limb into it. You, you know what I'm talking about? 
What happens? They have, the, the translation of engrafting means that there always has to be a wound. So in other words, when they engraft a branch into a new tree, there has to be a wound where they cut it. But there also has to be an identical cut in the branch. And the two identical cuts engraft together. The Bible says that Jesus is our high priest that has felt the same feelings of temptation and struggles that you have. But he became our sacrifice. He became our substitute. And the Bible says this over in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. It says that he was wounded for our transgressions. Remember we said there was a wound to be engrafted. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been wounded by people in your life? Has Jesus ever been wounded by people that he thought were friends? Many of us have been carrying around wounds in our hearts, in our lives, and our minds have been tormented because of the wounds of people that have done us wrong in times past. He was wounded. Have you ever been bruised? Have you ever felt the pressures of life? The Bible says that Jesus took the wounds, was bruised, the same way that you were, so that we could be engrafted into Him. And therefore, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Therefore, my upbringing, my heritage, my family, the things that have happened to me, the, the, the letdowns, the struggles of life do not have to define me, but what happened in Jesus causes me to rise up into a position of victory to see myself the way God sees me. Amen? Now lastly, I'll share this story. You guys can come on up. My grandfather, my, my mom's dad, passed away oh, probably 15, 16, 17 years ago. And uh, the interesting thing about my grandfather was is that he worked for General Motors for I think, I think it was 55 years. And so over the years, he had saved up a lot of money. He invested. And therefore, as a result, he had acquired some wealth. But if you was to look at my grandfather, he had a little shack of a house, a little farmhouse. You would never expect him to live in that kind of a house. It was kept up. I mean, he kept it tidy. It was clean. But it was just old. Just old. He had kind of a poverty mentality because he grew up through the Depression era. He drove a car for nearly 20 years. I remember when he got it, for, got it brand new. But as it started to get older, it started getting rust holes on the car, he would take tape. What is it, that nylon tape, the tape that's got the little threads running through it? He would take tape and he would tape over the rust spots. And when he died, he had wealth. Now, the interesting thing about my mom and my grandfather is that she always had kind of an insecurity with her dad. She loved her dad, and they had a, a good relationship, but there was an insecurity. Just, if 
feeling as though she wanted to measure up and that the older sister maybe seemed to be more favored or whatever it might be. Maybe some of you can relate to that. But my grandfather made her the executor of his will. And when he passed away, she was beginning to handle his assets. All of the insecurities that she had of her dad, of what he thought, what he might have said, it didn't matter because he was dead. Now everything that he had was in her hands. Now she was given specific instruction as to how to disperse the wealth. But do you realize even in the midst of that, there's these thoughts, these memories, these voices that can rise up and begin to haunt you. What would dad what would dad think? What would dad say? Oh, I wish I would have measured up with dad. But the fact of the matter is, is that dad is dead. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And the thoughts and the memories and the voices are just memories of the past. They're not real anymore. Now, that might not be a good illustration, but my point is this. Is that Jesus died. And the Bible says that we were crucified with Him. Therefore, the old life is dead. The failures, the faults, the mess-ups, you're in Him. There might be the voices that haunt you from the past, the insecurities, but remember, somebody died. And so they're dead. They're just dead voices talking. Maybe it's the voices of your past. They're dead. You're free because you're in Him. Amen? You're in Him. And everything that is His is yours. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, it says that we are joint heirs with Him, that we have an inheritance in Christ. I'm telling you what, God has provided such an awesome life for us. And the devil wants you to to look at what you think you are, what people think about you, what you think God thinks about you. But if we begin to find out who we are in Him and see our true selfie, we'll never be depressed another day in our life. We'll never have another down day. We'll never be frustrated again. When you're tempted to, wait a minute, no, I want to remind myself, look at yourself in the mirror, I want to remind you, Tony, I want to remind you that you are free, that you're forgiven, that you're a success, that you're in Him. And if you're in Him, you can't be out of anything else. That's who you are. Amen? Provision, safety, protection, healing, deliverance, it's all yours. The Bible tells us this, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If I'm joint ears with Him, and the earth is His and the fullness thereof, then that means that everything that is in this world belongs to you and me. Do you realize that God never made anything for the devil's kids? He made it for God's kids. We always look at them and say, it must be nice. Well, quit looking at the world, looking at those that don't know Jesus and envying their life. God never did that for the devil's kids. He did that for us. That's my dad. That's my inheritance. It belongs to me. Amen. Oh, we've got a good life to live. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you 
that the eyes of our understanding are being enlightened, that we're coming to know the hope of our calling, that we are filled and flooded with light of the revelation of who you are and who we are in you. And therefore, that we are raised together and seated together with you in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. Oh, to you be the glory forever. God, we thank you that we see ourselves the way you see us. In Jesus' mighty name.